so many parallels between the body change uh, experience and the business building experience because you know just like you said the goal can't be weight loss or bust like it just can't be you can't start with like I need to lose like 30 pounds like that can't be the goal every second right first of all your metabolism doesn't just respond like that so it's not like even if you were putting the things in place and cutting calories and increasing your exercise like your metabolism will rebound no matter what so we kind of do have to take it slow and it's the same thing in business when people come to me and they're like I need to make hundred thousand dollars this year. And I'm like, okay, that can't be the goal. Like money actually can't be the goal. Money will be the byproduct of creating a business that's at, that adds a ton of value to the world and that you love and that you feel like you could see yourself doing for the next 10 years. Same thing with weight loss. Weight loss will be a, a byproduct of creating a healthy lifestyle that you love and that you can do for the next 10 years, you know, same exact thing. So it's like, where are you focusing? Is it on? I'm Doug Bobst personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage Podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please, sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest is somebody that has an incredible transformation of not only her personal journey, but professional, as she has gone from the fitness industry and now pivoted into you know, a very successful mindset coach, and I'm here with none other than Jill Coleman, aka at Jill Fit, who her work has been featured in Self Magazine, Family Circle, Shape, Women's Health, Prevention, and many, many others, and she is also the co-host of the Best Life podcast, which um, I was fortunate to be a guest on. And today we cover so much ground, including mindset, how she navigated through divorce, infidelity, and also how she kind of rebuilt herself personally and professionally to now become a successful online and mindset coach for many entrepreneurs across the world. Jill, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to chat today. Yeah, me too. And, um, you know, we were talking, um, you know, a few minutes ago, which something that really fascinates me about your story um, and your, your journey through fitness is, is you know, now you're, you've got your, you know, a very established mindset coach, business coach, obviously, um, you know, in the fitness industry is somebody who's very well respected and whose, um, you know, value and expertise is, is well noted. But you didn't just start there. So what, like I said, like which, what's intriguing is that you don't have a crazy transformational story. You weren't homeless. You didn't have to lose 100 pounds. You weren't you know, on drugs or anything. So take me back as far as you need to, as far as how you got started in the fitness industry. I know you started you know, when you were in your teens. And to kind of like where, like where you are now, um, like what got you there? Yeah, no, for sure. It's such a great, you know, people always ask me like, you know, how did you get started? And I always say that it's kind of anticlimactic. I was one of those lucky people who just always love fitness. Um, I think for me, it was always an outlet to um, like athletic endeavors were always an outlet. Always just, I, I learned early on, especially in sports, the feeling of defeat and then also getting over that, like in building my resiliency, at least physically. Um, and so played sports all through, you know, uh, school and high school and college, even I was a collegiate rower, but I started teaching group fitness classes in when I was about 16 years old. And really it was just, I had, I had a love of dance and then, you know, just adding on and layering on uh, triathlons and duathlons and half marathon and 
I ended up at the age of 24 doing my very first figure competition, which if people don't know what that is, it's like kind of a very, um, very kind of strict, very rigid uh, prep for getting up on stage and getting your body judged based on, you know, symmetry, based on musculature, based on definition, based on how lean you are. And so for me doing that was kind of like the height of fitness, right? It's like, okay, I'm going to get up on stage and quote unquote, be judged on who has the perfect body. And so it was just like extreme fitness after extreme fitness. And so I really love the idea. And I'm sure you've had this experience too, Doug, that you can change your body with food and exercise. It's amazing, right? Like we kind of get, and what I was doing was getting hooked on that feeling. I lost about 20 pounds to get up on stage for the first time. And, you know, I was always a normal weight, always kind of like athletic, but I lost about 20 pounds, got super lean, about 10% body fat, got up on stage, um, best night of my life, end up winning my very first show. My friends and family are there, like this huge high. And then I got off stage and immediately just started stuffing my face. And I don't know why looking back, I didn't realize that that would like affect, you know, my body. I just thought, okay, I lost 20 pounds. I'm going to stay this way now. Um, it was so unrealistic, so unhealthy, but I ended up gaining back 15 pounds in two weeks and be like, oh my God, it took me 20 weeks to lose 20 pounds. And now I just gained it back in two weeks. And I remember looking at my body and not even recognizing it um, and feeling really betrayed by the industry and media that no one was talking about this. I felt really like alone in this. I was like this rebounding effect. It was the first time in my life I had experienced this. And anyone who's listening who has yo-yo dieted kind of understands this principle. But I remember reading magazines like Oxygen Magazine and these fitness magazine. They didn't really talk about, you know, post-competition blues. I was, you know, really depressed. I was really attaching my self-worth to how I looked because, you know, again, I was getting a lot of compliments. I was getting a lot of people asking me what I'm doing. And it felt really nice to get that level of approval and affirmation. And then when I gained the weight back, it was kind of like, oh, okay, where are the comments now? Where are the compliments now? No one's really paying attention to me now. Well, I just need to get back in shape, right? I just need to lose the weight again. And so that sent me on about a six-year um, just roller coaster ride of losing and gaining the same 20 to 30 pounds multiple times within a year, even, which is extremely unhealthy, not even for, not just for your physiology, but also for your psychology. Um, and so it wasn't until I was about 29, 30 years old when I decided, okay, like I can't keep this up anymore. I remember my ex husband, who, well, my husband at the time, who's my ex husband now, said to me, Jill, you know, you're always so upset when you don't feel like you look the part or you have a six pack or whatever it is. He's like, why don't, I don't understand why that's the only thing you feel like you can offer the world. Like you have a master's degree in nutrition. Why aren't you putting your brain and your intellect out there? Um, and that was a really just a big light bulb moment for me. And it was at that point that I started jillfit.com as a blog. And so I started being like, okay, yeah, I do know some stuff. I've been a personal trainer now for 10 years. Um, I've been a fitness manager for a long time. Maybe I can take what I know and just put it online and just see if it can help someone. And so from there, um, I blogged every day for two years and really built up a really kind of fast and loyal readership. And that was the affirmation that I needed for my brain. And that was the moment where I decided, okay, I can't be obsessed with my body anymore. I have to figure this out long-term. And I created a nutrition philosophy called Moderation 365. And it's exactly what it sounds like, eating the same you know, every single day of the year, whether it's Saturday or Monday or whatever, holiday, vacation. Um, and now I teach people how to do that as well. So the, the business itself has morphed over the last you know, eight or nine years. But that's kind of my origin story in terms of like where I was at, my trans, my quote, quote transformation, um, but really coming out of that and, and realizing there's a lot more to life than just having the perfect body. So, yeah, there, there's so there's so much I'd like to unpack. And I think as somebody who um, I competed, I, I, I attempted to say I could to compete in physique competitions 
and just the amount of work it took, right? And the amount of shame, I mean, not shame. I mean, yeah, shame, I guess, because the body image thing. And I would, I would binge eat like on the weekends. Like I just remember like I would just be eating chicken and broccoli and like rice, like, you know, five meals a day. I'm sure you remember those days. Right. And then traveling to like, when I was traveling, you know, for work out West and I'd be, you know, packing frozen chicken breasts and, and I remember just having this, like looking at myself in the mirror, I'm like, I can't believe I'm doing this. Like, what am I doing this for? And I just remember one day, you know, I was like, I was like ripped. I had like, you know, being a fat kid, you dream of having a six pack. I took it to the next level and I had like every ab muscle you could possibly imagine. (laughs) I had like 5% body fat and I was in really, really good shape. And I thought that's what happiness was, right? Was like, but then it was like, well, I can't get any more lean. Like, what am I going to do? Like have zero fat. I can't get any, you know, and you realize, like you said, there's that, those blues of getting to a point in a physique, in a, to your physique where you think it's going to, you know, generate all this happiness and fulfillment. And it does for about 30 seconds and then it wears off and then it, you get this deep dive and you have to recover and get and drink from that cup again. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. And so you bring up a really good point because I think the fitness industry has done a horrible job at recalibrating itself after um, Instagram, after social media, after, you know, the, the Photoshop, I mean, as far as like what, about how you, it correlates having this sexy body to, to happiness and fulfillment. And I think we've done a disservice. I mean, sure. There's people like you and I and others, obviously that, that get it out there, but wouldn't you agree we've done a disservice as far as like setting the record straight and what it means to be happy? Yeah, I, I do. And I think, you know, obviously with social media, the new media, obviously before this was in magazines, right? So for example, when I was competing, you know, Instagram at that point, I think it maybe was MySpace or early days of Facebook, we didn't have in our face, like everyone's highlight reel, like we do now we had magazines and people were reading, you know, actual just print magazines. And I remember looking at the models who I looked up to at the time, fitness models, fitness competitors, and seeing kind of, I was always trying to, okay, let me see what they're eating. Let me see what workouts they're doing. You just have this feeling of like, you want to emulate this person because they're flawless. That's in your mind. That's how you see them. They must, you know, if they're this lean, if they're this fit, if they're this beautiful and they have the hair and the makeup and the tan, they must have all the other things too. They must be making a million dollars. They must have the perfect relationship. They must, they just have it they have, they're put together and come to find out. And we're having these conversations, you know, especially on the best life and we're having them behind closed doors. And I think more now openly that that's just not the case. And that, so if someone does have like you and I experience the quote, the perfect body, what else is there? Right. And it's almost as if, and they've actually shown in positive psychology that the, the number one feeling that we feel when we attain the big goal that we feel like we need to have in order to feel successful is relief it's actually not even happiness, it's relief. And it's short lived. It's like, okay, cool. I climbed this mountain. Where's the next one? And so I think not enough of us are picking our head up and deciding what happiness looks like for us. One of the questions I always ask my clients is, you know, okay, what would actually change in your life if you lost 15 pounds? Like what would actually change? Like, would your family love you more? Would you have more social media followers? Would you, you know, have a uh, better job? Like none of this stuff, none of the actual outcomes would change. If you gain 15 pounds, what actual outcomes would change? 
probably nothing. Your friends would still, you know, love you and your family would still appreciate you. You wouldn't lose your job. Like, you know, yes, I think we were talking about a hundred pounds, you know, loss, your, your life does really change in a big way, either one way or the other. But for most of the women I work with, they have, if anything, more like I had, which was normal weight to obsessive weight and normal weight to obsessive weight, you know, and that's in and of itself. I mean, yes, hashtag first world problems, but we're seeing this epidemic of people obsessed with their body and obsessed with food and thinking about it constantly and over-exercising and thinking that more is better, but, and it creeps on you. I think that's what is confusing about it is all of a sudden, I don't know if this happened with you, but for me, like I didn't even notice. I kept adding more and more cardio to my routine and I didn't notice. It just seemed like the natural next thing to do. I just need to do more. I need to do more. And it wasn't until I was doing like three hours of cardio a day that I was like, okay, this isn't normal. I'm at the gym three times a day. And if I'm not here, I'm thinking about when I have to come back here. And so that was when, especially starting my business where I was like, okay, I literally don't have the time or mental energy anymore to keep up this regimen when I'm trying to build a successful business. And so I think for me, having some somewhere else to put my attention and my sense of purpose was the thing that pulled me out of it. I don't know if I hadn't started my business, if I'd ever get pulled out of it. You're right. And I, I, I hit a very similar aha moment where I was in the middle of, um, you know, I was trying to write my first book and I was doing this physique competition and, and I just remember breaking down. And I remember one of my like good friends who's always kind of been like a mentor of mine was like, well, why do your clients train with you? Is it because you're ripped? And I'm like, no, he's like, why do they train with you? And I'm like, it's my, for my passion for helping others. He's like, so what does this physique competition have to do with your passion for helping others? I was like, it doesn't. And it it just was like eye opening that, yeah, it's definitely, and I'm not here to say that doing big things like that isn't important to boost your self-esteem and self-confidence, but most people, like you said, are doing it for the wrong reasons. And here's the thing I will say too, to go back to your point about the women you coach, you know, what will losing 15 pounds Will their family love them more, get more followers? And the answer, like you said, was spot on. It's not going to change. But what could change is that they don't get their mindset under control and then they end up taking stuff out on other people where it allows them to then have a negative outcome on their family life, their job, because they're so caught up in their self-image. How do you navigate that with rewires? I know you do a lot of mindset coaching, right? How do you help to re-navigate you know, the mindset stuff with these women you coach Mm -hmm. to get them to stop focusing so much on just their body and get and to get deeper into deep rooted problems that cause that. Yeah. You know, I, I do feel for trainers. So if you're listening to this and you are a health professional, um, a lot of times we get to the point where we want to help our clients just feel better in their skin. The average person, the average client just wants their clothes to fit. They don't want to have to think about food or exercise all the time. They want to feel good. They want to have good energy. They want to have good sleep. They want to have low stress. Like It's not typically, you know, especially I work with a little bit of an older crowd, I would say 35 plus, like, you know, these women are moms, they're working full time or they're full time moms. And like for them, it's not, they don't need, they're not trying to get on a cover of magazine. So I think, you know, but at the same time, I feel for coaches because a lot of clients come to you and ask for drastic weight loss. They'll say, I need to lose 30 pounds. You know, so oftentimes we feel pigeonholed like this is the only thing we can offer because this is what our clients are asking for. When in reality, I think a lot of our clients are only asking for weight loss because they think that's the only thing on the menu. They don't know that they can get stronger. They don't know that they can add muscle to their body. They don't know that they can, um, you know, like run a marathon. Like they don't know what these kind of non-scale victories might look like. And so I think as a coach, our 
uh, obligation is to make them feel safe and, and valid. You know, people say, I want to lose weight. It's like, cool, we can definitely work on that. But also, are you open to other non-scale victories? Like, for example, what would make you feel amazing? What would feel like, how about, you know, if we get your energy under control, if we get your sleep, you know, really well, if we get your hunger and cravings under control, like, would that feel good? And so a lot of times people come to us and say, I want to lose 30 pounds. They might only lose five pounds, but it's sustainable. And they love their body more than they ever have because they're lifting weight in the gym and they're feeling powerful and they're feeling strong and they're being an example to those around them. So I think sometimes we almost have to Trojan horse it like, Hey, sure. Let's talk weight loss, but let's also, you know, explore some other things. And so I think as a coach, it's never your job to put your agenda on your client. It's your job to validate them. But at the end of the day, you do have a lot more influence than you think that you do. And so I think having those conversations and giving it time, I don't know if someone comes to you and says, I want to lose 30 pounds and you're like, well, just love yourself. I think that that's a little bit of a disservice. And I think it's, um, I think it's short-sighted even though eventually that's where we want to get them to. So I think as a coach, you can massage the situation more than you think you can. And so I think just having those open dialogues, those open conversations, asking them why, getting down to their purpose, their passion, and then helping them start to realize that stuff outside of weight loss. And before you know it, they're gonna be like, I feel amazing. And meanwhile, they've only lost like five pounds, you know, and they're, and they feel great and they love themselves and they never want anything to change. So I've had that experience multiple times. Um, and I think, you kind of have to just honor your client, but also realize that you have plenty of time to, to be on the journey with them. Yeah. I mean, everything you said is so true and, and you're right. Um, I do think there's a lot of trainers that, that miss the boat on that where they just look at the surface level. And when clients say they want to lose 10, 15 pounds, it just kind of stops there. When instead of really asking them why they want to do that, because then if their only focus is on the weight loss, if the scale doesn't move, they're going to get so dissatisfied. They're going to get depressed. They're going to want to quit. When really, um, you know, being able to have them look at like other areas, like, like, okay, so, so if you get down to the nitty gritty, which most people who want to lose weight, at the end of the day, they just want to feel better about themselves, yeah. right? So if they're, if, if, if them feeling better about themselves might be them getting stronger, it might be them increasing their water take, intake, it might be the fact that they've made it to the gym three times a week for a month when they haven't done that in 20 years. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm, I'm seeing this in real time with a client that, you know, you know, needs to, you know, wants to lose some weight and is seeing success in other areas of her life, you know, doing outdoor sports and, you know, just simple, you know, daily activities that she's never seen before. And she's happy. And has she lost some weight? Yes. But I don't think the weight loss would have come if she, if I had just solely said, we got to work on weight loss. We got to, and I'm like, no, we're going to exercise. We're going to take it slow. We're going to build a foundation. And because of the, we, 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 as trainers, you know, we all make the mistake when we get started of just trying to, to have our clients see results as fast as they can so that we can get more clients so we can get our name out there. And we lose sight of the reason why we're doing what we're doing, which is to change people's lives, right? Yeah, it's also like, what kind of coach do you want to be? It's funny, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking there are so many parallels between the body change uh, experience and the business building experience. Because, you know, just like you said, the goal can't be weight loss or bust. Like it just can't be, you can't start with like, I need to lose like 30 pounds. Like that can't be the goal every second. Right. First of all, your metabolism doesn't just respond like that. So it's not like, even if you were putting the things in place and cutting calories and increasing your exercise, like 
your metabolism will rebound no matter what. So we kind of do have to take it slow. And it's the same thing in business. When people come to me and they're like, I need to make hundred thousand dollars this year. And I'm like, okay, that can't be the goal. Like money actually can't be the goal. Money will be the byproduct of creating a business that's at, that adds a ton of value to the world and that you love and that you feel like you could see yourself doing for the next 10 years. Same thing with weight loss. Weight loss will be a, a byproduct of creating a healthy lifestyle that you love and that you can do for the next 10 years, you know? Same exact thing. So it's like, where are you focusing? Is it on the end result or are you focusing on the process and enjoying it? And I know it sounds so cliche, but I always come back to that because it's the same thing with business. So many people approach internet business, which is what I do with my clients now, with this urgency and this like scarcity and like this intensity of like, I need to make money because I hate my corporate job or, you know, I need to make money because I just, you know, like it's just this urgency and I can spot from a mile away, the person who is going to burn out so fast because all they're focusing is on is the money. And it sucks because the end goal is money. Like we do want money, right? We got bills to pay. But at the end of the day, that can't be the focus. The focus has to be on creating the business, which is different. I mean, yeah, it's, there's so many parallels and because at the end of the day, you can definitely spot somebody who's just trying to make a quick buck versus somebody who's actually doing it because they love doing what they do. And you see a lot of people just trying to, like you said, do things for the wrong reasons. And you can, it's, they're very easy to, to see because they're the people that you, you, you'll see them for like a couple of weeks. And then once they don't need anything from you, they just, you don't see them again because they're gone. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think people they lose sight of on social media, especially I see this a lot with people just posting like who they are and try. And so they end up like posting like the, the superfood shakes. So they end up posting like them doing a crazy workout, but the people they're trying to attract aren't doing that stuff. So the people that they're trying to attract aren't see, they're like, that scares me. I don't want to drink a kale smoothie. I can barely stop drinking soda or I don't want to work out for an hour. I can barely move my body for 10 minutes. I mean, so you've really mastered the online game in a way that, you know, obviously you're still growing and you're still improving things, but you've done a very successful job and now you're coaching other people. What do you think has been like the biggest success or lessons learned in how you post online to develop, you know, raving fans, a tribe that now not only follow you, but buy your products and buy your services, you know, when they, when they see fit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, number one, this is, I mean, this is good and bad. The answer is so simple, but it's also really hard to implement. And the number one thing is consistency. So, and I know that's like so cliche, but if you're listening to this and you are wanting to build a personal brand, like you're wanting to get your name out there, you're wanting to get on podcasts, you're wanting to, uh, you know, create online courses, products, services, coaching, distance coaching, stuff like that. If you're listening to this and you want, I mean, really the number one variable is consistency and how long. And so they always say that, you know, small businesses last, you know, it takes about three to five years to become viable. And I do believe that's true because I think most people quit because it is something, it is kind of something you need to do when you're not making money. Like you kind of have to do at the beginning, especially it's not like a corporate job where you get the job and then immediately start getting a paycheck every two weeks. There's some ramp up time. And, and for, in my experience with the clients I've worked with, it takes about 12 to 18 months for things to start really moving. And so when you approach it with this urgency or this scarcity of like, I need to make this work right now, you're going to burn out and you're going to quit. And that's fine. I don't think entrepreneurship is for everybody. I don't think personal branding is for everybody. But number one variable is consistency. Are you willing to show up every day? And so here's the thing is you kind of have to settle into this. I think sometimes we get so caught up in the metrics like likes and shares and stuff like that. It's so shiny 
that it's easy to focus on that. But my mantra for my clients is post and move. Like you're building your body of work right now. No one knows you yet. You're brand new. So the idea that someone's going to hand you hundreds of dollars to coach with you, like if you're lucky, maybe someone you already know is willing to do that now that they found out you do coaching. But for the vast majority of people, it's going to take some ramp up time. And so at that point, you're in your building your body of work phase where you're putting your head down and you're pressing publish. So I think back to the years, you know, I have over 700 something blogs on the Jill Fit site now, but the first two years we blogged every single day, like I was literally just, I blogged, I published, I posted on social media and I just went about my day. It was just literally about getting reps. And I think so many people, and by the way, I became a lot better writer as a result of that and communicator as a result of that. So consistency is the number one. Anytime you ask yourself like, what should I be doing to build my business? It's literally show up on social media. And the reason why I focus so hard on social media, and there's obviously all different parts of internet business, but for social media, if you're new, that's where your ideal clients are hanging out. So yes, we want to get them into our email list. We also want to get them into closed Facebook groups. You want to get them in DM conversations. Like we have these other places you want to get access them, but you have to focus on social media first because that's where people are hanging out currently. And so um, if you never have to ask what you should be doing, more content, more content, more content. It's not blogging anymore. You know, blogging is kind of, you know, fallen a little bit off. But these kind of mini blogs on social media, using video content, doing YouTube videos, getting on Instagram stories and doing mini trainings, like there's so many places where people are consuming content that you have to be visible on those. And so number one, there's uh, consistent consistency. After that, I would say quality of value that you're giving. And the reason why I put that as number two is because you'll get higher quality the more that you publish. So I always say that quantity begets quality. So don't worry about it being mind blowing. Don't worry about having the best video and the best lighting and you know the best information quite yet because you're new. And with practice, you'll get a lot better. So if you go back to read my old blogs, it was terrible. It was grammar mistakes, typos, spelling mistakes, emojis everywhere. It was just the worst writing ever. But it was conversational enough and it was the information was good enough that people wanted to keep reading. Now I've gotten a lot more polished. So you're going to get better the more you do it. So number two is quality of content and are you a true expert? Are you putting out valuable information that people can um, learn from? And number three, I would say is, are you sharing and pulling back the curtain on your own struggles? So Doug, I know this is something that you know, you've done really well is like sharing your story so that people can relate to it, whether or not they have the exact same story, they probably have something similar where they have felt you know, down and out. They felt like they were at the, you know, their rock bottom, whatever that looks like. And so people connect to that and they feel closer to you because of that. So I've been very open about everything from my marriage to uh, my relationships, to my struggle with eating, to my body issues. Like I've been really open with all of that. So it allows people to connect to also feel like they're struggling with that same thing. So it's, it's really a trust building formula. Yeah, you're right. And I think you know, the consistency thing is huge. And that was something that I was terrible at the first few years I was on Instagram. I would make a post here and there and I'd be like, eh, no one's following me. Nobody cares. Yep. And lately I've just noticed like, all right, like pulling it out of Gary V's book, like posting three to four times a day, it, it, you know, and setting it that bar. And if I only post once or twice a day, whatever, but at least I set a goal to do three or four times a day. And I know at least I'm going to do one or two and, and engaging with my my audience and, and investing time to really like, you know, not think about what I want to post. Like think about how is my message going to be able to help get my audience to feel seen and heard and like, Oh, this guy gets me, this guy gets what I'm struggling with. And you're right. I think the more we can put 
our naked selves, right? Obviously, no pun intended, like literally like who we are in the rawest human possible form, like the more people will be drawn to us because it humanizes us. And if we're trying to get people who are trying to make transformations, odds are they've struggled with the same stuff. I put a post out the other day that was like, the, you know, when you, when you put your scars out on the table for everyone to see, like all your insecurities, all the shit you've done, like who's going who's gonna to say something to you now right. when you own all that? Like, right. like it's like gloves are off, right? Like, so for me, like, I mean, you know, talking about, you know, being kicked out of my house and the struggle with drugs and jail and abuse and all this stuff, like, what is somebody going to say about me now? Like, they can hurt, they can, what are they going to say, right? And the yeah, same. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about it is like, you know, I've said it first. So there's, it dissipates the shame because you're like, well, I don't have to hide anything because I'm the one who said it first. So there's nothing you could say about me I haven't already said about myself. So it dissipates a level of shame. And it's really cathartic. If you've gotten to the point where you are a content creator and you're like worried about sharing something, you've probably gotten the, it's those posts that you publish that are always the most impactful. You know, you might not get people publicly commenting like, oh my God, I struggle with binge eating too. Because remember, that's not how people share. Most people don't share that openly. But that's when you'll get the DMs. That's when you'll get the text messages. That's when you get the phone calls, the emails where people are like, wow, that really hit me. And in my experience, we talk about, you know, getting people to buy from you. You know, as much, uh, I hate to kind of, I, mean, I love talking about money, but at the end of the day, like that's really where the connection piece is. And you only need one person to resonate really strongly with a single post for them to be like, I want to give you money. What can I give you money for? Like whatever you have, they've actually like, this is a marketing mantra that I use for my girls is, you know, if you can communicate the struggle better than they can, like if you can communicate it even better than they can, they automatically assume you have a solution. And you do, if you offer product services, online coaching, you have a solution, but you have to show what the struggle is first. So chances are your ideal client is going to be a previous version of you. Maybe it's the person you were five years ago, 10 years ago, you know, um, even last year, right? Something you've overcome and it's, it's your obligation to share that transformation story and, and give the playbook if you have it. So, and that goes to, even if you are potentially wanting to hire a mentor or, you know, looking at the aspirational qualities of the person, I know you mentioned that you just kind of hired a coach or you just joined a mastermind. I'm sure it was partly because you looked at the lifestyle of that person or what they've achieved. And you're like, they can probably pull back the curtain and show me that playbook. And so you need to provide that as well for your potential clients. Yeah, and you, you're right. And I think, you know, just, just simply looking at like, who was I five years ago? And what advice did I need to hear then? Like, what, sure. what tools would I do? I wish I would have had then. Like right now, I'm working on something that I think is going to be transformational. Um, I'm not going to tell too much what it is, but it's pretty much helping kids get ready for high school. Like what information do I wish I would have known and had back when I was entering high school to make sure that I was successful and I didn't get involved in drugs. I didn't get involved in smoking cigarettes or now it's vaping or in the wrong crowds. Like what kind of tools and mindset tips would I have been able to know that a, I could use and then B that would be able to resonate with me at the level I was at. And you know, part of the show is like helping people overcome adversity and, but also peeling back the onion on people. Like I had Autumn Calabrese on here, um, you know, last week and I've interviewed, you know, Dave Hollis and other people who have, you would think and yourself, and I could go on and on that you would look at, look at them on paper and be like, what does this person struggle with? Like, how could they even like begin to, like, they don't, they don't know me. Yeah. And then they unveil some of the stuff and you're like, wow, like I had no idea. Like I had no idea Jill struggled with eating, um, with, with eating issues. Yeah. Or I had no idea she went through a divorce or I had no, I like, and then sure enough, like, they get into your story and then they start following you and just the same thing with anybody else. 
and then I know your partner in crime, Danny has a very similar story, right? Um, and I've gotten to know Danny because obviously, you know, it was on the show and just staying connected with her. What, how does it, how, you know, you both are very similar, but not similar as far as like your stories, (laughs) right? I know she's obviously been very open with her struggle with depression and and suicide and all that stuff. Right. Um, how did you guys a meet and then B like, what do you guys do to make it work? Um, being business partners. And I, and I guess you guys, it looks like you guys are pretty close friends as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Danny J and I co-host the best life podcast, which Doug has been a guest on. Um, and you know, we have very similar stories, even though personality wise, we do have some stark differences. Um, but story-wise, very similar, like in terms of everything from competitions. Danny was more at an elite level than I was. She was doing it for a long time. And, you know, she actually ended up in adrenal fatigue as a result of it. She told me that she never veered from her meal plan for seven years. I was like, that's incredible. I was the opposite. I was a binge eater. So I did, I did the yo-yoing. She never did. And she, you know, um, ended up with thyroid issues, adrenal fatigue stuff. And so she started, when she was starting her fitness business, she started talking a lot about that. Um, and she actually met my ex-husband, Jade, Dr. Jade Tita, who's a naturopath. And he was the one who actually helped her in her adrenal fatigue and with her thyroid issues. And I met her through him. And we became, you know, like kind of friends. I mean, but she had been married for a long time. I was married for a long time. Um, and then we both started pivoting into helping professionals with their business. We looked around and we were looking at, you know, these fitness models and people were around and were like, no one's making money in this space. <laughs> so we took it upon ourselves to really learn internet business, go to a lot of personal development conferences, um, learning more about digital, the digital space and really kind of helping people with that. So we kind of went through that phase too, where we left our body stuff behind and really took on the business side. And then in 2015, well, I guess it was 2014, um, I found out that my husband at the time, we'd been married for, I think at that time, seven or eight years, um, had been having an affair. And that was devastating because it wasn't, I mean, we had a good relationship and I think that was one of the most confusing parts about it to, to me looking back. Um, I think we tend to think that infidelity only happens in relationships that are like bad relationships where maybe there's like a nagging wife or, you know, like a husband who's not, you know, like a dumb, like whatever. And we weren't like that. We worked together. We both are, you know, really kind of intellectuals. Like we had a lot of deep conversations. We, you know, spent a lot of time together. And so finding that out was frankly shocking and obviously devastating. Um, And so at that point, I was so just embarrassed and had so much shame over that um, because I'm a blogger at the time. So I'm blogging, you know, and, and talking about my husband in the blogs and whatever. And meanwhile, behind the scenes, this is happening. And I didn't even know how to organize it in my head, let alone talk about it on social media. And so for about a year, the affair wasn't going on at the time. So we kind of were trying to work it out and, Um, I ended up traveling a lot by myself and, you know, really kind of trying to batten down the hatches and I was just totally had the rug pulled from under me. So I was trying to figure that out. And it was about a year later that things really weren't changing. And the reason why things weren't changing is because my ex-husband was still really in love with his ex-lover and she didn't want anything to have anything to do with him. And so he was really heartbroken. And so here I am trying to be like, let's work on our marriage when he's kind of one foot in and one foot out. And by the way, I'm sure, you know, you, I think you said you interviewed Jade. So I'm sure he's really open about, he's been really open about the story. So I'm not telling anything that he hasn't already said himself and that we've worked through, but, um, 
I ended up leaving the marriage because nothing was changing and I could have stayed, you know, and I would have, but it was really hard, but I ended up leaving, drove across country and got a new place by myself in Los Angeles. And this is before we were living in North Carolina. So I had been in LA for about a month or two, didn't know anybody, totally heartbroken. Danny reached out and was like, oh, hey girl, I'm in Utah. Let's do a girl's weekend in Las Vegas, which was in between LA and Utah. And so we did, and I ended up telling her everything and she was shocked just as I was. Cause you know, if you know Jade, like he's a very, now he's very in his integrity. He's an upstanding dude. He's like, he's very, uh, what's the word like convicted. And so it was shocking at the time cause she knew him as well. And she was like, I remember the first thing she said to me was, but you're so smart and pretty and successful. And it's funny. Cause I think we think if you don't, if you're not, if you don't, I'm not in these circles that are talking about infidelity you do think that it only happens to the people who are like, you know, kind of not like, you know, like the haggard wives who like let themselves go. You know, I hadn't done any of that. And so, um, the next year, it was probably like nine months later, Danny calls me up and said, Nate's having an affair. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Cause meanwhile, they had a like what on the outside again, great relationship. And so he still wanted to have something to do with the other woman he was with. This is Danny's husband at the time. Um, and so I was just like, what are you doing? And she's like, I don't know. I'm just, I don't know where to go, what to do. Like I'm just driving around town and crying in parking lots. And so I was just like, come to LA, come and stay with me. So she ended up like about a few weeks later coming into LA, sleeping on my couch for a couple of months and just, she's heartbroken. But I had just gone through the exact same thing a year before. And so I'm kind of like, you know, helping her along. I'm still full, like, you know, I'm still lonely and I'm still doing my stuff and getting through my stuff. Both of us out of these 10 year long marriages, trying to figure out, you know, how, where things went wrong and really healing together. And it was after that, about a year and a half after that, that we started the Best Life Podcast. And we just started talking about these conversations. We were um, working through them. We're healing, we're dating, we're doing all these things together in a new city. And we just really bonded over that shared experience. And yeah, we ripped the bandaid off. And now we're seeing a lot more people publicly talking about infidelity. But at the time it was really taboo. You know, this is like late 2017. This is, you know, people weren't really talking about this stuff on podcasts, you know, no one's really admitting to stuff like this. And since then, my ex-husband and I are, we're really close now because we had a lot of conversations and he did a complete 180 um, and he's healed all of his stuff. And now we can have very honest conversations and nothing romantic, but you know, we're really good friends. Um, and so I'm grateful now looking back, but it was a lot of turmoil. And then you throw in social media and online, you know, readers and stuff like that. How do you manage that? I was getting questions constantly. What's up with Jade? Where's Jade? Where, what's happened with you guys from strangers? So, you know, that's really confusing too, but Danny and I have been through so much together and now recently both of us in new relationships. So that's been interesting to navigate. So yeah, she's just my soul sister. She's She's amazing, but we are personality wise. If you follow us on social, we're definitely pretty different, but we have very similar values, very similar uh, emotional e like EQs, how we handle things, uh, how we talk things out, and we see the world very similarly. So it's it's an easy relationship. Wow, it's it's just so funny how people come into your lives at the right time for the right reasons, right? And I haven't interviewed Jade yet. He's supposed to have me on his show here um, next month, but I mean at the end of the day, like what you've, what you've said and what, you know, obviously seeing who he is now, it just seems like you both have done an incredible job at healing. And I think it could have, you could have, I've seen a lot of women um, who would have been in that situation when I, I mean, coaching a lot of women who struggle with addiction would have just gone down the rabbit hole of addiction and just gone right into alcohol and the pills and anything to just kind of sob their pain. 
um, sobbing their pain, if you will. And you kind of did the opposite. You went across country, you decided to rediscover yourself. And now it's kind of led you into who you are now. You're in a new relationship. You met, you met Danny J and um, which you guys have kind of created. I mean, not just, I mean, obviously there's guys who listen to what you do, but there's, I mean, what you've done for women is incredible. So like, what were some of the things you did when you were really struggling during that time of infidelity, like to kind of keep your shit straight so you wouldn't go off the deep end? Like, what did you, know, you do? That's a great question. I mean, we had this mantra and it's such a great question. I mean, you know, like I think, I think most people, and I, I did to a certain degree, turn to things that are not productive, things that are destructive. I think, um, you know, I definitely dated men that, you know, I probably shouldn't have, you know, just in terms of I was at that point, I, I felt like I was kind of mopping my self-esteem off the floor, you know, like it, it, when you go through something that traumatic, when you, I mean, I really just, we had such a great marriage for such a long time. It was so out of left field that you are just blindsided and you have PTSD and you're like, I guess, I don't even know. I hadn't been single since I was 18. So navigating a new city, especially Los Angeles where everyone's gorgeous and like fit and everything else, you know, like city, not knowing anyone. And I think I was just so, I didn't know what my worth was that I was willing to accept um, a lot less than I think I would accept now because I was just like, I don't even know if I, I don't know if I'm attractive. I don't know if I have anything to offer. I mean, obviously I couldn't even keep my own husband interested in me, right? I have all these things going through my mind. So navigating that new space was confusing. And so I think, you know, definitely dating and and sleeping with people that I probably wouldn't now, uh, having conversations I wouldn't indulge now, texting behavior I wouldn't indulge now. Um, you know, so there's that transition of like, I don't know if I'm good enough anymore. Um, Whereas, you know, it's funny because before in my early 20s, I would never have stood for it either, right? I was just, you know, I knew my worth then. And then going through something like this, you question a lot of things. So that kind of thing, I mean, there were definitely nights where I would drink a bottle of wine for dinner, you know, not proud of that fact, but I would just be, I had like no appetite for like five years. I mean, I would, you know, I'd eat salads and healthy stuff during the day. And sometimes I'd be like, you know what, I'm not hungry, but I just want to have a couple glasses of wine. And that's what I would do. Um... So again, I look back at that and while I don't think anyone would call me an alcoholic, I was certainly indulging way more than I did before the divorce. Uh, That's definitely tapered off now. And then the other thing is like workaholism. So for me, owning your own business and then not really having the support of your spouse, especially because both of us are entrepreneurs, I was like, holy shit, like I don't have anyone to fall back on. I don't have anything to fall back on now. I'm on my own financially. And I know a lot of women who go through divorce, especially, gosh, if you have kids, like luckily I didn't have children involved. But, you know, then especially if maybe you didn't work as a wife and now all of a sudden you're having to figure out your financial situation after something like that. So um, I just, I was like, well, this is the only thing I can control, which is how successful my business is. So I just dove into business. I just put myself, I was like, I can do more. I'll take on more. I'll, you know, and so I've, I've recalibrated since then. And I've increased the amount of just kind of like lifestyle, hobbies, activities, things outside of work. I have a lot more balance than I did, but for me, it was, it was just all work. It was, you know, maybe fucking around with men that I probably shouldn't have. And it was probably a little bit more drinking than than I'd recommend. So yeah, I mean, and I also, I look back at that and try not to judge it. I think that's what's hard. And I don't know if you have this experience too, Doug is like, I just go back and I'm like, you know, that's just where I was at. That's unfortunately, that is where I was at. So I think judging it or regretting it or feeling bad about it or feeling shame about it doesn't really help. I'm just like, that's what it was at the time. And I always trusted that it wouldn't be like that forever. And I think sports really taught me that, right? That like, okay, everything's transient. Like this is hard right now, 
but this intensity of hard cannot keep up. And I always had that in the back of my mind. Like it's at some point, something's going to shift. I'm going to heal. You know, I'm going to move things in different directions. Something's going to happen. I always had that trust, that self-trust. Um, and I think that's what's helped kind of transition out of that phase. Yeah. I mean, gosh, I think when you're in the, the, the pits of despair like that, you kind of are doing whatever you kind of need to, to get by sometimes. Right. And I think, um, you know, you kind of do the best you can and just make sure that, you know, around you, you're keeping things. I mean, I always tell people like when they're going through something really tough, like do what you got to do, but just try to just try to, to be around as much positivity as you can. Whether that's the people you're around or the, the activities you're doing. Um, because the, the way I manage at stress and adversity now compared to 15 years ago is vastly different. I think you can, you would agree that people think when you hit success or when you have a transformation or you, 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 you quote unquote, like make it or whatever, that there's no problems. Like there's no stress. There's no depression. There's no anxiety. It's bullshit. It's all still there. It's just how you, how do you manage it? Because it life still happens and we have to learn how to navigate those those pressure in a way that's conducive to the to the way we want to be living in in the future yep. and and so for me I, back in the day it was all drugs strip clubs uh taking my aggression out on other people i mean yeah. i cannot tell you how many people i i bled on when i was hurting i can i mean just that i look back and i'm like holy crap i cannot believe i i did that and then you know the amount of people i lied to and all because I was just so ashamed of who I was. I didn't have the, the I, didn't, I mean, to be honest, I didn't have the balls to look at myself in the mirror and be like, you know, this is Doug's problem. This isn't anybody else's problem but mine. And what role did Doug have in this? Because I always wanted to shift the blame off of me. Like, and I think a lot of people do that when something un, unfortunate happens, they shift the blame off of themselves. Cause it's easy to blame other people would be easy. You know, it's easy to blame your spouse. It's easy to blame your parents, your brothers. That's the easy thing. But the hard thing is, is like, which most people don't do, which is why I think we are in the, the mental health crisis we're in while we're in the obesity epidemic is because most people don't have the, I mean, haven't found the courage within, the, within themselves to look at themselves in the mirror and say, you know what? I got to do the work. I got to do the work myself. No one's coming to save me. It's on me to change. You know, what's interesting about that is, you know, I totally get that when I was first, uh, first found out about my husband's infidelity, I think, especially in our culture, like, you know, we just always position the person who was cheated on as the victim and the person who did the cheating as like the victimizer or the perpetrator. And it's not that that's not true, but I remember feeling so just helpless with that. I felt, I felt so helpless with that. That was something where I was like, okay, this is, you know, this definitely was, you know, it wasn't necessarily done to me, but it affects me deeply. And, but I also feel helpless. Like, okay, am I just supposed to sit around and wait for him to choose me or like, are things to like him to promise me stuff? And I, I was very acutely aware of like, you know, there's a major breach in trust. I don't know how we're going to get that back, but I can't, I, I'm unwilling to live in a miserable situation where I'm constantly having to be hypervigilant. And like, at the end of the day, like I want to be able to trust again. But I remember feeling like, God, do I just sit around and like wait for him to just make, to apologize or to go to therapy? Like, why do I have to sit around and wait for him to do stuff? And so that was when I came across Byron Katie's work, who um, she goes by Katie, but she has several books out. And the number one book that she has that I would recommend people is called Loving What Is. And it was the first book that I came across, or first, first thing that I really came across that really helped me feel in the driver's seat, even when this was going on in my own life. So for example, like just to your point about a lot of people, you know, just want to be the victim. If I had gone around and asked a hundred people, 
you know, who was the victim of my scenario and was I justified to feel hurt and angry the way I was, everyone would have agreed to me. A hundred people out of a hundred would have agreed that I was justified in the way that I felt. But at the end of the day, feeling self-righteous and hurt and in pain and uh, done wrong and all these things didn't feel good. I would ask my girlfriends and they'd be like, he's a fucking asshole. And I'm like, yes, right. But he's a coward. Yes. All those things. But also what else? Like what other tools are there? I just felt really at the mercy of waiting around. And so that was when I came across Katie's work and she has these like, you know, questions that she asks and this reframing exercise that she does. And it was like, whoa, like I have a say too. I can own part of this, even though I didn't actually quote do the cheating. I can look at my own behaviors and how I was in the relationship. Not that I ever caused someone to do something, but what was I doing? What was I not, what conversations was I not willing to have? What things was I ignoring in the relationship, right? What, because that's the thing is it just come out of the blue. It's like something like this, especially a long-term affair like Jade had. It's like, there's a bunch of things that if you're looking, you can dissect. And it wasn't just on him. Yes, the cheating was. I certainly wasn't, didn't make him do that. But, you know, like what, what role did I play? And that felt really cathartic. It felt really healing to look at some of that stuff and go, okay, like, not that this is ever going to be 100% foolproof, but I'm willing to look at my own stuff and figure out how I want to be in an next relationship. And it's not because I need to prevent someone from cheating. I don't think, you know, I just, but at the same, at the end of the day, like, how can I be better? And so having tools like personal development tools and ownership, like you mentioned ownership a couple of times during this interview. And like, that's really it. At the end of the day, it's radical responsibility and it's a lot more fucking work. Oh yeah. And I think, you hit the nail on the head. Like it's easy to sit there and talk smack about the other person. It's really hard to like look in the mirror and be like, all right, like what role did I have in this? And you're right. Like even as I'm navigating certain stuff in my life now, it's like looking at yourself and, and being like, well, what can I do to control my behavior and my situation? And you know, for me, I'm still in therapy. Like I do it more proactively now because I mean, who I, I think it's, it's very healing to me to go into a therapist's office and be like, all right, like, this is what I got going on. How can I get better? How can I handle situations better both personally and professionally so I can learn and grow? I mean, that's part of my continued self-developments, continued personal development is, is that. And I think, you know, the more we feel empowered to, to change, the more we're going to change. I remember when I was in jail and I always tell this story whenever I'm interviewed because I think it's so true the way, and it, it just, it just very parallels what you just said is my cellmate, I was bitching, complaining, you know, I grew up, you know, in a divorced home and I was bullied in school, all this, all these excuses and reasons I could have to blaming other people for the reason that I did the stuff I did. And I remember him having no sympathy for me as of course, mm -hmm. like you're in jail, what sympathy do people have for you? Right. And he's like, he looked at me clear as day and this might offend some people, but this is back in 2008. And for me, it really changed the way I viewed myself as he's like, Doug, you can be a man or you can be a bitch. And I was like, bitch, I'm like, I am a, you're in jail. You don't want to be called a bitch. That means that, you know, there's something, something bad's about to happen. Right. And B like, I was like, where I grew up like that. I was like, bitch, I was like, what do you mean? And, and he explained it to me. He's like, you can be, a, and, the re, and the the reason I share this so much is because it's, it wasn't derogatory. He was just explaining yeah. it in a way that he knew would resonate with me and that would light a fire under my ass to change. He said, you can be a bitch. Like 99% of the people who come and walk through these gates, go sit in the corner, cry, blame other people, say, what was me? Or you can be a man and know that you got yourself here. No matter what, like there's other people who suffered the same stuff you did. It didn't end up in jail. So what can you do to change that? And in the moment I, that I heard those words was when I felt empowered again. 
And it's the same thing like what you, what you were just saying. Like, what could you control? You couldn't control whether he comes back and says, you know what, like X, Y, and Z. You can't control. All you can control is you and your truth and the codependency and all that other stuff, right? That we know that, you know, people struggle with when they're leaving relationships. And, um, and kudos to you for doing the work because there's a lot of people and that don't do the work. I was interviewing um, Jen Esker, like uh, She was on the show last week too. And same thing went through some struggles with infidelity and did the work, yep. right? Yeah, Didn't- I mean, I think, you know, it's it's really easy to just kind of position the person who is cheated on. And I think it's really easy, especially in this, like the culture we have now of like delete and ban, right? Like if someone comments on, a, on your post and you don't like it, you just delete and ban, you know? Whereas I think with something like this, there's a huge opportunity here, you know? And, and there's a lot of work that you can do on your own. You don't even need even though oftentimes you want the other person's feedback, like, tell me what it was, tell me, you know, you want answers for sure. But I do think that we have the ability to do our own work and kind of look at um, who we are in the world and decide what we want moving forward. And so I just don't subscribe to, I'm just a victim for life or I'm the person who was cheated on. And even Danny and I, as we're, we're going through the best life stuff, we don't want to just identify as like the person who was cheated on. Like, I don't want that to be my story forever. Like what else, what other story is there? You know, like I think learn from it, move on. And then, and it's a great teaching tool, but at the end of the day, I'm not constantly going to, you know, punish my current boyfriend for the narrative. I'm not going to bring that narrative into my new relationship. I was very conscious about that. And so, but if I hadn't done the healing work and I would still have major trust issues and I'm just unwilling to live like that, I'd rather be single and alone, you know? So there's a lot of stuff that has to do. And, and the good news is you can do that on your own. You don't need anyone else to help you with that. You know, you don't need uh, to get answers from your previous partner. You don't need, like, you can just move on. And that feels really good. Yeah, because I think the more we we victimize ourselves and we make excuses as to, it's because it's, that, that makes it easy, right? I think a lot of people, they victimize themselves and make excuses because it's an easy fallback for when they don't achieve success or when they do have a failure and make a mistake. They can just blame X, Y, and Z instead of being like, you know what? Like I just handled that wrong. I didn't try hard enough. I wasn't consistent enough. Cause eventually like the rubber's got to meet the road. It's like shit or get off the pot. Like you got to Like something's got to change. Right. And nothing's going to change if you take the responsibility of your actions and behaviors and put them onto somebody the way somebody else treats you. Yeah. So the one question I always ask at the end, which I'm intrigued to hear your answer on is like, if you had, say you had somebody that was going through, so let's just say like Danny, right? Take Danny yep. for an example. Let's just say you just met her for the, you know, you're in that, um, she's in that space, you know, you guys, she's living on your couch, um, in LA and she just found out, you know, that her marriage was pretty much over and that the infidelity, what advice would you give to her um, as she's going through that time? You know, it's hard because when you're going through something and you're kind of at your quote, like your rock bottom, like the, where you feel like the, the rug has really been pulled out from under you. It's not the best time to tell people to be grateful. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, even though looking back, like I could say, I'm really grateful for that experience. And she can say the same now. So I don't always jump to those kind of tools. I think a lot of people, especially in like the spiritual world, just want to be like, well, just, you know, be grateful that you have this, like, or whatever. Like, I just don't know that you jump right to that. So I think the number one thing that I can offer someone in that situation is the gift of non-judgment, like, and just listening. And I think, you know, I always try to be, um, to normalize things for people and neutralize them. So I don't ever, like, I'm not going to coddle someone, but I'm also not going to, 
um, shy away from a, a difficult conversation. So, you know, let's talk about it. Let's talk about the things that are really, that are really going on. And I, I'm not trying to pretend I'm better than you. I'm not trying to be patronizing. I'm not trying to pretend I have all the answers. I just want you to feel seen, feel heard and feel like you are encouraged to take the next step. So, you know, at the best life, we do have a lot of people reaching out to us who are in that place currently and don't have any resources. And we try to just tell them that, reassure them that it is going to be transient, that all they have to do, their only job is to take one step and put one step in front, foot in front of the other. That's it. Like just take it one day at a time. Um, and try not to judge it as you're going through it. Try not to judge yourself for the things that maybe you'll have to do to get through it because it's transient. Um, you know, do your best and continue to do stuff like listen to your podcast or, you know, listen to the best life, expose yourself to, like you said, positivity or people who are doing this work and you don't have to change right away. Like you don't have to know the answer yet. I think it's okay to sit in the discomfort for a little bit and that sucks because no one likes to be there. But I think, you know, giving people the gift of non-judgment and normalizing their feelings and making them feel seen and heard is really the best thing you can do in that point. It's not the time to like layer on the tools and tell them to be grateful and stuff like that. I just don't think we're ready for that quite yet. Yeah, it's so well said because when people are going through stuff like that, you can't just be like, oh, just be grateful. You know, there's purpose. It's because no one wants to hear that then. And, and at the end of the day, you don't see that until actually you're, you're out of it, right? When you're, yeah. and, you know, if they but holding space and not judging them because I think yeah. people make the situations worse. And, and it's not easy to handle, to be there for somebody in that situation because it's like, well, how do you know? It's, I mean, everybody responds to different stuff. You know, what is, what am I going to say? It's like, you think get that caught in that notion, like, what am I going to say that's going to make them feel any better? And our job isn't to, fi- to fix the situation, right? But holding space and knowing it's okay for them to be sad because here's the thing positivity is this big buzzword now. And I talk about this a lot. Like, there's nothing positive about infidelity. There's nothing positive about needing to lose 100 pounds, but your attitude towards that needs to be positive as much as you can be to get through it in a faster way than if it's not. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, we can definitely, there's, it's, there's a choice point. It's like how, you know, I think it's okay to sit in that discomfort for a little bit, but to your point, absolutely continue to expose it, to continue to expose yourself to positive influences. Even if you're not, even if you have to fake it a little bit at first, you know, I went to Byron Katie's event uh, after I've been in LA for six months and I just forced myself to go. And like, I was feeling so angry and self-righteous and I still had all these feelings inside and I just burst open. I was like, just, I'm going to go and I'm just going to expose myself to this message. And like, I just cracked open. I was like sick for like two weeks after and I, everything changed in that moment. So I think just exposing yourself, you don't need to like know it yet. You don't need to be a pro. You don't need to pretend like you have all the answers. I think just expose yourself. And then, and that means that you're on the journey. Cool, Joe. Well, hey, I so appreciate you having you on your having you on here. You dropped so many uh, great nuggets, you know, tools, tactics. The conversation was amazing. I think the audience is going to get a lot out of it. Thank you so much for having me. This is so great. I, I often don't get to talk about this stuff, so it's really it's really a treat to be able to. Cool. Well, I like once again, um, you know, your message is going to be so well received. Where can people find out more about you if they want to like find out more about your services? You know, give you a follow on Instagram. Where can they check that out? Yeah. So what I'd recommend is, you know, just probably Instagram is the best place to find me. It's at Jill Fit. And then um, jillfit.com is the website. And if you're interested in signing up for the newsletter, that would be the place to do it. And then definitely, you know, give a listen to the Best Life podcast and see if you enjoy that. And especially if you're into the more of like the juicy kind of relationship, personal development stuff. Um, I'd recommend starting at the beginning of the podcast and listening to some of the infidelity episodes. 
um, at the beginning and just kind of getting it that way. But yeah, it's, it's great. Awesome, Jill. Well, thank you so much for hopping on the show. And, and listeners, um, I hope you're taking notes during this episode on how you navigate your way out of um, adversity, just out of a place of shame, stigma, and, and tr- transform it into something worthwhile and positive. So once again, thank you for listening to the Adversity Advantage, and I will see you next time.